Hi, friends. We're so glad you joined us today. Sometimes I get focused on a word. I just do. And in our final session, in our series on the Bible, we looked at the inspired words of the Apostle John in the first chapter when he told us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, in our Bible series, we stopped there because Jesus Christ is the living Word. And John's reference was to Jesus. And it, it is rich, it is full, because Jesus is the full revelation of the Word of God. But in that same verse that we did not cover in that series, John's next phrase is, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. And I've been asking myself, what does that mean? What does it mean to behold his glory? And today, sometimes, you know, you may hear a pastor or worship leader say, let's give him glory or let's give God gl glory and we'll clap. And sometimes that's mingled with some shouting or, you know, we might say, I want my business to glorify God or I want my ministry to glorify God. And so um, we have some songs uh, to God be the glory. Um, we'll give him all the glory or glorify thy name. What are we singing? What are we talking about when we say those things? Is it just a good word to use? Um, is it just a word that means, uh, hey God, uh, I like you and you're doing a good job, man, and I'm gonna applaud for you. What does, what does it mean when I say I'm going to give God glory? Well, what was John talking about when he said, we beheld his glory? The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That means it was glory like no other. Glory like no other, like, like of the only begotten of the Father. So I decided I would see what I could find out about the word glory. What can I learn about glory? Well, the first question I ask when I want to learn something is where is it first mentioned in the Bible? There's the, the principle of first mention, which means that usually the first time that something is mentioned in scripture, it gives you a clue about what it really, really means. Well, the, the, the first time, the very first time the word glory is used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 31 and verse one. And in that place, Laban's sons, were accusing Jacob of taking all that was their father's and making glory for himself. That's the first use of the word. And so there the reference is to wealth. Um, so first in the Bible, the word glory refers to the glory of man and wealth. But the first mention of the glory of God is in Exodus chapter 16. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn there with me to Exodus chapter 16. And when we're in this place, the children of Israel had departed from Egypt and they were in the wilderness. Uh, they were grumbling, they were aggravated, they were tired, they were probably hot and tired and cold and hungry, you know that feeling. And they, 
They had uh, had so much good food. They thought so many things had to be good in Egypt because they're beginning to decide that they had it better in Egypt as slaves than they have it here in the wilderness. They even accused Moses and Aaron of bringing them to the wilderness to die of hunger. So the Lord spoke to Moses. Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, at evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. You will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? <clears throat> your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You shall know that I'm the Lord your God. Well, what's he doing? The first vision the first mention we have of God's glory has to do with his appearance in a cloud, but it also has to do with his provision, his miraculous provision of manna and meat to the children of Israel in the wilderness. The next mention of the glory of God is in Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. So if you will turn there with me. And Moses, in this chapter, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and acquaints, acquaints the people with the laws um, that he has received from God. And a covenant is made between God and his people. And there was a public ceremony of sealing the covenant. Well, the covenant was, happened, took place back up on the mountain where Moses was called. And after he came down and they did that, God called Moses back up. So he went back up the mountain to receive further instructions. Look at the 16th verse of chapter 24. When in verse 16, that's the seventh day that Moses was there, that Moses was on the mountain. I'm gonna start in verse 15. This is Exodus 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. 
and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he, God, called to Moses from the midst of the cloud and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So then in chapter 25, in chapters 25 through 30, Moses received instructions for building the tabernacle in the wilderness. The Lord had been speaking with him on Mount Sinai and the people became impatient. And Moses uh, was absent and so he was being gone longer than they thought he should be gone. And so they then decided they'd just take matters into their own hands and they built a golden calf and worshiped it. Can you imagine what that did to God's heart? They built a golden calf, worshiped it, made sacrifices to it and gave the idol credit, the golden calf credit for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Well, the Lord in his anger wanted to destroy them. It's a fascinating story. You need to go there and read it. But Moses interceded for the people. It's an incredible prayer. And Moses' relationship with God is incredible. The Bible tells us that they spoke with one another as a man speaks to his friend. So Moses went down the mountain and Moses saw what the people had done and he was angry. Well, he went back to the Lord in brokenness and interceded again. And so that gets us to chapter 33 of the book of Exodus. So beginning in chapter 33, let me begin reading in verse 7. Remember that the tabernacle is completed. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. This, I'm mistaken, this is not the full tabernacle. This is what he's calling the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And it came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak to Moses. When all of the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his own tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, Thou dost say to me, bring up this people, but thou thyself has not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moreover, thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee so that I may find favor in thy sight. He had it, but he wanted more. 
He said, consider too that this nation is thy people. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to God, I love this. I love this. Don't mention it. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Moses said to God, if thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. In other words, Moses is saying to God, if you're not going, I'm not going. Verse 16, for how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? How are they going to be distinguished? By the presence of God. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But God said, you cannot see my face for no man can see my face and live. The Lord said, behold, there's a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You will see evidence of my glory, but you cannot see it in its fullness and live. Skip then on over to chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40. When we get to this chapter, the construction of the tabernacle has been completed. Of course, it was completed exactly according to the instructions and the specifications that the Lord had given to Moses. And in chapter 40, beginning in verse 33, the second half of the verse says, thus Moses finished the work. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled in it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter 5, beginning in verse one. This is also in 1 Kings chapter 8, if you want to check it out there sometime and read both of them. But I'm going to read 
2 Chronicles chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the story of Solomon's temple. This was the first temple, sometimes referred to as the first temple, and it's built along the pattern of the tabernacle. There is the holy place and the holy of holies, and it is in a set-apart place apart from the brazen altar, the outer court, and all of those things that you'll read about. And so David wanted to build the temple. God wouldn't let him. So Solomon is his son, and God allows Solomon to build the temple. Thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and all the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's households of the sons of Israel, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves to the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. Then all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house to the Holy of Holies under the wings of the cherubim. Let me tell you a little bit of something about that. The Ark of the Covenant was a chest that God had made and it's called the Ark of the Covenant and contained inside there are the stone tablets. Uh, there's a golden pot that has manna in it and Aaron's rod that budded. Those three things are in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is covered with a gold top, a golden top, solid gold, and it is called the mercy seat. And coming out of both sides of the mercy seat are figures of the cherubim, angels, and they are bowing like this over the sides of the mercy seat. And God had said to his people, that's where I will dwell with you, above the mercy seat between the cherubim. Verse 8, for the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside, and they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and their kinsmen clothed in fine linen with cymbals and harps and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord saying, He indeed 
indeed is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So it filled Solomon's temple. Then if we went on over to Psalm 3, we'd see the psalmist David. He came along and, and he was having to flee from his son Absalom. You can imagine what a heartbreak that is to have to flee from your own son. But in verse 3 of Psalm 3, it says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I love that picture. Maybe when you were a child, you had... Um, loving parents or grandparents, maybe there was somebody in your life so that when you were like David and bowed down and your head was hanging low, they would come along and lift your face. And David said, that's who God is. He's the one who will lift your head. He is my glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 19 verse 1 begins with, the heavens are telling the glory of God and its expanse is declaring his finger work. Can you imagine the expense of the heavens being God's finger work? But they're declaring the glory of God. Now, let's go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel recorded the last view of God's glory in the Old Testament. Let's begin in chapter 1. Now it came about in the 30th year on the fifth day of the fourth month while I was by the river Chibar among the exiles, the heavens were opened and I, Ezekiel, saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's reign, exile, I'm sorry, in the fifth year of the month in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chibar, and there the hand of the Lord came upon him. And as I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. And within it, there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings and their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides were human hands as for the faces and the wings of the four of them. Their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right, the face of a bull on the left. All four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst... Of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. 
and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. And now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. And whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went. And whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now, over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, uh, like the awesome gleam of crystal extended over their heads. And under the expanse of their wings were stretched out straight, one toward the other, each one also had two wings covering their bodies on the one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now above the expanse, that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a, a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As, he, as the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. The glory of the Lord. Do I understand all of that? No. It's hard to imagine what that was like. And Ezekiel is trying to describe the indescribable. He's trying to describe the infinite with the finite. Of course, God, the Holy Spirit and inspired scripture is giving him the words, but they're putting stuff that we can't imagine into language that we can relate to, that we can kind of see. So there is mystery in God's glory. How do we even attempt to try to grasp God's infinite matchless glory? How do we even think about it? How do we talk about it? God's glory was present even before the beginning of time, before creation. We've already seen that God's glory has been manifested or shown 
um, in different ways. It signified God's presence. It signifies his protection, signifies his guidance. So God's glory is a part of all of that, but it also signifies, you see it here, his power, his power. And so it appeared as a consuming fire. It appeared as a pillar of a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. So the glory of God or the glory of the Lord, there's the same thing, is a huge, significant theme in scripture. What is it? What is God's glory? Well, it's a hard word to define. It's kind of like the word beauty. You kind of know what it is, but it's hard to pick words to define beauty. It is really hard to pick words to define glory. Basically, the glory of God is the manifestation of his presence. And he can manifest or show us his presence in hundreds of different ways. He has since Genesis 1. He's been manifesting his presence in different ways. So glory describes God's invisible attributes made visible to us. All of the things about God that we cannot see. Moses couldn't see. Moses saw part of it. All of the things we can't see, he makes visible in one way or another so that we can see it and grasp it. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. But we cannot see him unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. So the glory of the Lord is the visible expression of God's person. The glory of the Lord is the visible expression of God's person. Any manifestation of God's attributes and his character. Um, some have said that glory is to God what heat is to fire. Heat is not fire, but it's the result of it. Um, it is what wet is to water. Wet doesn't, is not water, but it reveals water. It's it's a radiance of water. What brightness is to the sun, brightness is not the sun, but it's a revelation of the sun, something that the sun is like. So glory is the product of God's presence. And we've seen it show up in provision. We've seen it show up as consuming fire. We've seen it show up, we know about the story of Moses with the burning bush. We've, you know, so many times it has to do with fire and presence and it's something visible, but it's the product of God's presence and it is emanation or maybe we know the word effulgence. It's, it's what's coming out from him. It's not the glory of itself. It's the revelation of it. So glory, God's glory then from all of the things that we've read so far is revealed in what he has made. It is revealed in his power. It is revealed in his law. In the Old Testament, he sometimes gave this visible manifestation of his presence. But what you see, what you see we can't do is see it all at one time. Um, it's overwhelming. Ezekiel is trying to describe it. Moses couldn't look at it. And so it's, it's everything that God is in some kind of a of a manifestation of his presence. So back in 2 Chronicles 5, we read the record of the glory filling Solomon's temple. 
and uh, sometimes that's called the first temple. And so the glory was positioned above the Ark of the Covenant. And God had said, this is where I'm going to meet with you. This is where I'm going to be. I'm going to stay above the Ark of the Covenant. And so whenever the Ark of the Covenant moved, God moved, the cloud moved, the fire moved. And so uh, the glory was positioned above the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies in the temple and in the tabernacle. Well, Ezekiel goes on now to describe what I believe, what to me is one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible. The glory, sometimes it's called the Shekinah glory. It means the presence of God. It had been presence, you, you know, Solomon finished his temple and then the, the glory of God filled the place and he was dwelling above the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim, he was dwelling there. Well, he had been there in that temple for about 368 years, as best I can calculate. He had been there above the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the sins of Israel at that time were dreadfully grievous to God. He had sent prophets. He had brought bondage. He was doing all of these things to try to get his people to look at him, to return to him. And God was grieved. And so God took Ezekiel and showed him the idolatry that was taking place in secret and the abominations in the temple. So God takes Ezekiel and begins to show Ezekiel what's going on among God's people from God's perspective. And he gives Ezekiel an, a vision of that. Well, the people and the spiritual leaders were involved in gross sinfulness. There was no sadness for their sin. They weren't really bothered by it. And here sits the glory of God in the middle of town, in the middle of Jerusalem. And, and they just went on with life the way they wanted to do it. And they enjoyed their sin. And so they were not sad about their sin, much less was there any repentance there. Well, God allowed Ezekiel to see what he saw. And it's a fascinating story that you may want to read the whole book of Ezekiel sometime to see. But God allowed Ezekiel to see what he saw, and the leading men and women had turned away from God. There's a lot of history. There's so many lessons here. But for today, I just want you to see the glory of the Lord because that's what we're talking about today, beholding His glory, all right? So the glory of the Lord had been in the Holy of Holies for a long time. It dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant, over the mercy seat, and between the cherubim. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 9, watch what happens. Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 3. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherubim where it had been to the threshold of the temple. Moved. It moved. Now look at chapter 10 and verse 4. And this happens over a period of time. 
But then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of God. Then look in verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them, and they stood still at the entrance of the east gate at the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord of Israel hovered over them. So now the glory of God has moved from above the Ark of the Covenant to the threshold of the temple to the east gate of the Lord's house. Then go down to chapter 11 and verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. The glory moved from the midst of the city, stood over the mountain, which is the east of the city. Now, know that this is the Mount of Olives. This is the Mount of Olives. It's outside the city of Jerusalem. Now, Scripture is silent about this, but rabbinic or Jewish tradition claimed that God's presence or His glory remained on the Mount of Olives for three and a half years waiting to see if His people would repent. And they did not. They did not. Now, there are two major, really sad things to me about this story. The first one is that the glory of God departed. So what's happened here is that the glory of God has left where He had always been. And in a slow progression, He was visible. It said the glory was there. The the light was shining. He was visible and He moved out of the temple, out of the city of Jerusalem, all the way out to the Mount of Olives. He left. But the second sad thing in this story to me is that apparently his people didn't even notice. Didn't notice. Do you know when they noticed? When enemies surrounded the city and their doom was pending, they cried out to God and discovered that He was not there. That is a stirring moment to me. I guess it would be a whole nother lesson to talk about, has God left and we didn't even know it? Are we so taken with who we are and what we're doing and God needs to get along with us and that He could leave? And we wouldn't know. That's what happened here. So God left. Now, that is the last mention of the glory. That is the last vision of the glory of God in the Old Testament. Where is it? On the Mount of Olives. Hold on to that thought. So the glory had been in the Garden of Eden. It was seen in the wilderness when God fed His people with manna from heaven. It was seen when the Old Testament tabernacle was completed and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. It was seen when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and had the glory of God emanating from His 
own face. Glory was revealed when Solomon's temple was completed. What is it? What is glory? The Hebrew word for glory is kabod or kabod, K-A-B-O-D. And that means to be heavy or weighty. Now, that literally is talking about value and importance. Big, big value, big importance, infinite value and importance because it's God. The Greek word is doxa, D-O-X-A, and that means that which gives a proper opinion of someone or something. So God's glory gives us a revelation of who He truly is, of what is true about Him. It provides a glimpse into His beauty and His brilliance and His radiance. And all through here, we've just seen glimpses of it. Creation is giving testimony every day of our lives to the Creator God and what He is, how He thinks, what He can do, what are His ways. He loves beautiful things. He can speak them out of nothing. So generation after generation, God revealed Himself. He showed Himself and His value, His character, and His attributes. He sent prophets and priests and kings telling the world about Himself and His heart for His people. And for the most part, His people rejected Him and worshiped idols and loved their sin. And so one day, God's glory left. Now that does not mean that God was inactive or inattentive or uninvolved. But he withdrew his visible presence. Then opened the New Testament and turned to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Glory is not mentioned again in the Old Testament. And when we get to John chapter 1 and verse 14, this is where we begin. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. It's back. We beheld His glory, it's back. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John says, we beheld His worth in the person of Christ. We beheld God's worth. We beheld His weight. We beheld His honor and His splendor, His power, His attributes, His mercy, His love, His grace. He's full of grace and truth. We, we beheld His glory in the person of Jesus. The glory was back. God became flesh in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and He, Jesus, was the total manifestation of all that God is because He was fully God and fully man. He was a total containment of everything about God and we could see him, they could see him on earth in the flesh, John. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. 
And John said, there he is. We saw him. In Christ, we can see everything we need to know about God. Everything. In Christ, we see the full array of God's attributes. Think about it. We see his omniscience. Jesus was all-knowing. We see his omnipotence. Jesus was all-powerful, had power over everything. He, was, he had miracle-working power. We saw, see in the Gospels Jesus as he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame to walk. He made the dumb to speak. He made the deaf to hear. He raised the dead. And he had compassion for sinners because he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. The glory left in the book of Ezekiel. But when Jesus came, the glory came back. The full revelation of God in the way, in a way he had never been revealed before. At the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke tells us that shepherds were abiding in the field. I, we just got to turn there. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of a great joy which shall be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The birth of Christ was the revelation of the glory of God. The glory of God was revealed in the birth of Jesus and in the life of Jesus and in the death of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was the glory of God. Fully displayed, beautifully arrayed, splendor, praise. And then he left and ascended into heaven. When we look at the person of Jesus and his poverty and his, how he was treated, we don't think about the glory of God. But what he was was the full embodiment of all of the attributes of God. He was the glory of God. And then after his resurrection, he left and ascended into heaven. So where's the glory now? Are we without it? You know what? God's glory is presence is the Holy Spirit in you if you are a believer. His power 
His creation, His law, His grace, His presence, His Son, His people. God's glory was revealed in all of those things, but the Bible is clear that He created us for His glory, and life is wasted when we do not live for the glory of God. How can I... How can I glorify God? How can I do that? God's got all the glory. I can't give him any more. I can reveal and cooperate with what he's got, with who he is. We glorify God when we live in such a way as to reveal the truth about who he is. When we live in such a way as to reveal the truth about his greatness and his beauty and his infinite worth, then we glorify God. We reveal his glory. We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Well, how do I behold his glory? If, if I'm not a believer and I'm not already there and his glory is not in me, I, can, I have no glory that is not Jesus' glory imparted to me. How, how do I do that? How do I behold his glory? I do it by faith. I do it by faith. How do I do that? I learn about him. I learn the truth about who he really is, and I believe it as it is written in his word. This is the true Jesus. There are many imitations of Jesus in the world today. This is the real one. How do I get to know him as he truly is? By studying his word. That's what this book is for. And while we're looking into the Word of God and who God is, the Holy Spirit uses the Word to transform us, and we, the Bible says, are changed from glory to glory. Because the Holy Spirit is in every believer, God's glory is there. He is in you if you're a believer. And so glorifying God is not special words or phrases, even though we want to use them sometime. But glorifying God is a life that reflects the attributes of God. It is a life that puts God on display. It is behavior that shows the world who God is, what He's like, what are His ways, how does He think. Then we are glorifying Letting the light of the attributes of God shine before men that others will join with us and will see his good works and will do what? Glorify the Father who is in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your daily life, whatever you do on a day, whatever you do, show what God is like. Show in your behavior, your choices, your attitudes, what God is really like. So right now, the glory of God that the world knows is seen in the church all believers. You know what? Someday he's coming back and that will be second coming glory. And we will see all of it. We will see him as he is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We'll see it. Revelation chapter 21. I know this is a little bit long. I apologize, but we've got to finish this. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. Apostle John says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need for the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. I don't know that we even know how to think about all of that. Here's what Moses said. Moses said to God, show me your glory. Now, mind you, he had seen some of it, but he wanted more. My question to me is, is that my heart? Am I willing to say with Moses, I want more? Are you willing to say that? Show me your glory. I've seen some of it. I want to see more of it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to me. There will be no glory in your life until you receive Jesus. This Jesus. Not your idea of who Jesus is or what he ought to be. This Jesus. There will be no glory in your life until you receive him. As of this recording, we're approaching the Christmas season. The message of Christmas is that God came into the world in all of his glory. Is contained in the person Jesus Christ. What had only been a blueprint for a whisper now became a shout and a reality. And someday he will come again in his blazing glory and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. The whole universe will erupt in praise. Isaiah says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Are you ready? Are you ready to see him in all of his blazing glory? Will you be one who can praise and thank him for your salvation? Or will you be one who has to shy away? Because you don't know. Let us pray. Father, let your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts what you want to know. Would you take this word, anoint it, and multiply it, and use it for your glory. I pray in the glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.